With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Catherine Whitaker is a mom, a wife, a marketing professional, and a lover of politics. And now she's jumping into politics and she's running for South Carolina State Senate 37. I speak exclusively with Catherine for a special edition of Quintus Pulsups. And be sure to download the free Quintus Pulsups app in your Apple or Google Play stores. And subscribe to my YouTube channel. Catherine Whitaker, <laughs> it's so good to meet you. It's good to meet you as well. Thanks for having me. I'm I, happy to be here. Yeah, thank you for being here on Quintus Pulsups. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you've been making headlines recently because you are actually going to be challenging current state senator Larry Grooms in 2020. That's right. And from my understanding from your website, it reads this. Catherine is a marketing and communicationals professional who grew up in Cameron, South Carolina. Her parents, both pharmacists, instilled in her a lifelong passion for helping others, a passion they came by honestly from their own parents. Catherine grew up hearing stories of her granddaddy aiding farmers in Cameron due to Farmers Home Administration mm -hmm. and her papa, a driver, truck driver that is, from Easley, mm -hmm. always having the patience to lend an ear and time to lend a hand when anyone needed it. Yep. What got you from being a small girl in Cameron mm -hmm. to now a marketing professional to now saying, hey, I want to represent the folks of District 37? Yep, it's a great question. It does all stem back to that desire to help people. I think that people get into politics for one of two reasons is the saying to be somebody or to do something and I'm definitely somebody who wants to do something I think that there's a lot that we need in this state and so I'm going to try my best to get up to Columbia and be a representative for the whole district and to get some things done there and it kind of was a way to go around to get to where I am now um, went to school at Clemson right. I spent um, about seven years up in Winston-Salem North Carolina with my family before coming back here to Charleston about six years ago and um, so it's been been a little bit everywhere, but we're settled now and we'll never, I don't think, leave this area. We love it and we're happy to be home. Um, my husband's a Citadel grad. We got married here in Charleston. Right. Uh, actually had our reception right down the street at the Mills House. Yes. So, um, so it's a, a special place for us and um, we're glad to be here. And now I just want to be, as I said, a voice for the whole district up in Columbia. You talk about that district. You said this mm -hmm. on your uh, website that is, I am Crafting Whitaker and I want to serve you. We must move on from personal agendas and, quote, business as usual politics that limit economic opportunities for so many while further widening the divides between us. Let me break that down. Sure. What exactly are you talking about when it comes to personal agendas? How many mm -hmm. personal agendas are you talking? Yeah, exactly. Well, there, I think everybody's personal agenda should be something that we should listen to when we're trying to represent the people. And so one of the things I've heard as I'm talking to folks throughout the district is they don't really feel heard. They don't feel represented. Don't feel like they have a voice. Um, I particularly have even talked to a couple of people who have tried to go up and advocate in Columbia and have been kind of dismissed because our um, existing elected officials disagree with what they have to say. So instead of hearing them out, they're kind of saying, no, I know what's best and I'm going to go do this my way. Um, and I think there's something really wrong with that. And so my whole agenda is to bring service back to politics and to really listen to people. Um, interestingly, just yesterday, I got an outreach on Facebook from someone who wants to talk to me about private school choice. And generally, I'm not 
for giving taxpayer money to, uh, to kids to go to private school. But this person um, has a long history with this issue and specifically wants to talk about kids with special needs and learning disabilities. I have a nephew who just turned two who has special needs and so I certainly want him to have the options and education that he needs. So I'm going to meet with this person and I'm going to listen and that's something that I will do throughout the district. When there are people that have an issue they want to talk to me about, I will meet and I will listen and that's my commitment because I think that we all have something we can learn from each other. Let me get back to that. We must move on from personal agendas. Yes. What personal agenda does this current state senator have in your mm -hmm, mind? Mm -hmm. Well, to me, it's he's been um, in office since 1997, and he's been unopposed since 2004. And generally, I don't think it is democracy when people win by default. And so uh, I think voters will have a clear choice. In terms of his personal agenda, you know, I think there are several things recently that he's pushing forward. And in some ways, I think he's too conservative for the district at this point. You know, when we talk about... Um, a fetal heartbeat bill or a personhood bill and some of those things that he keeps pushing that um, at this point are really um, a waste of time because we know how they end in the Senate based on last year and certainly based on this year where they've ended. Um, he's also pushed some things that I think are, are helpful to a few and not to a many. To a many. Um, and I think that we need to be making sure that we're doing the best we can for the most people in the district rather than for the few. How do you define business as usual? Mm -hmm. Politics. Yep. Absolutely. Well, in South Carolina, business as usual is um, really pushing forward an agenda that is very pro-business. And um, I think generally, uh, when people ask me why I'm a Democrat, I say uh, I learned from, from working for Mayor Riley and working for Barbara Vaughn and some others in, in his office this summer I worked with them. Um, it kind of boiled down for me to um, Democrats are really for the people and Republicans are really for the business. Now, I'm for business when it makes sense, but I don't think that we should make all our decisions based on what's good for business without thinking about what's good for the larger community and what's good for our people. Um, and so when it comes to business as usual in Columbia, it's been a lot of um, pro-business. And at the same time, though, uh, we have a tax environment that is just in sore need of tax reform. And so, so we say we're pro-business and we give a lot of economic development incentives. Um, but for example, you know, Berkeley County uh, School District has been the school district, the, the number one in the state for how much they've lost um, in terms of funding based on how much has been given in economic development incentives. And so, you know, we've really got to start thinking through the long term um, of this. And, and interestingly, that's, that debate has come up now with the Panthers bill. Um, and you see uh, Senator Dick Harpoolian up there asking the questions that need to be asked about some of these economic development incentives. Um, so instead of business as usual backdoor deals, let's bring it to light and let's figure out what is really in the best interest of um, the people in the community where these businesses are coming and, uh, and whether that makes the most sense for the state. You talked about earlier on this website about limiting uh, economic opportunities when it comes to personal agendas and business as usual politics. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What does the economic opportunity look like right now for District 37? Yeah, so it's, it's vastly different depending on where you are in the district. So this district is um, a big district. It covers a lot. Uh, I'm in the North Mount Pleasant area of the district and so that covers um, that area but then we also cover a lot of Berkeley County, most of Berkeley County really, and also a portion of North Charleston, kind of the northeast quadrant of Park Circle and right. up towards the Don Hall Bridge. Right. So when you're talking about economic opportunity, it really depends on what part of the district you're talking about because it's vastly different. And interestingly, I learned um, recently that we have one of the biggest rich-poor gaps in the country. Um, and we're up, right up there with like Seattle and some of these other places and you know to me that was astonishing. Additionally, we are, North Charleston has the highest eviction rate in the country. Um, and so we've really got some issues when it comes to people not being able to have 
food, shelter, transportation, health care, child care, the things they need to really um, move forward and, and make a good life for themselves and their families. And that's what I want to work on. When you look at that data about the eviction in North Charleston, yeah. where does your mind go to? Yeah, so um, one of the things, I met with uh, Representative Pendarvis, and he's got some good solutions, I think, that will be helpful for um, protecting tenants in some ways. You know, again, not not being completely um, on the side of the landlord in every issue, you know, and really having some some extra tenant protections built into our system. And so I think he's doing some great things on that issue, and I would certainly um, be supportive of that as well on the Senate side. You also say on your website, quote, I want to be a public servant to the people of Berkeley County, Mount Pleasant, North Charleston, and to fight for issues that improve our quality of life. Right. When you look at District 37, mm -hmm. what's the quality of life? Yeah, so interestingly, a lot of people think about infrastructure when we're talking about quality of life. A lot of people will talk about roads and things of that nature, and certainly that is an issue as well. Um, you want to talk about Mount Pleasant, everybody wants to talk about Highway 41. Um, in Berkeley County, there's a lot of conversation about the intersections of, um, of 52 and 176. Right. And so a lot of people want to talk about roads, and roads are important, and we need more roads. We also need to pave some dirt roads that we have in Berkeley County that How are, many are you talking? definitely what? Pavement those roads. Oh, we need to we need to pave a lot of them, and we need to build some more. But the real problem in terms of quality of life is that too many people live too far away from where they work, and we're having one person and one car on the same roads coming out of all these kind of bigger developments, on spilling out to the same roads and driving in the same direction at the same time of day. And it's again one person per one car. You know, so when you talk about a quality of life issue, we've really got to have a holistic solution to that that includes public transit and includes some other options um, in terms of the workforce being flexible in terms of times you go in and times you leave and all those kind of things wrapped up into it. The other part of quality of life though is we have to also be providing affordable, reliable services to our communities. And so in some of the communities I've talked to that looks like you know making sure that their electricity doesn't go off every time there's a big wind. Certainly there's some flooding issues throughout the district that we need to talk about as well. And so infrastructure and quality of life is more than just the roads, um, but also includes all these other things, and we really need to take a holistic approach to solving some of those Which, issues. Yeah, how many ex exactly how many roads are you talking here? One, <laughs> two, three, four. Well, that's a great question. Um, well, uh, it, the DOT has a plan. You know, they have a they have a long term plan, and they have all these things that they say are on their priority list. Um, I think one of the things, interestingly, for Berkeley County is, you know, Berkeley County brought in thirty percent of the economic development in the state last year. Um, and gotten very small amounts of, of infrastructure funding from the state in terms of those roads. And so when you're talking about how many, it's really going to depend on what we can get from the state and also what the um, citizens of Berkeley County are going to continue to allow in terms of the, the additional tax that they've approved a couple of times before and they'll need to approve again, it looks like, um, in the next couple of years. So it depends on how much funding we have and how many roads we can build, but, but we need a lot. We need a lot of improvement. Obviously, you, you talk to a lot of constituents in yeah. Berkeley County. Mm -hmm. What are they saying about these roads and how many they need? Yeah, um, they need a lot, and I hear different things from different people, honestly. You know, it's always what's what's kind of in my backyard are the roads that I have to drive are most important to me, obviously. Mm -hmm. But in addition to that, the things I'm hearing from folks as I talk to them run the gamut, really. Um, one of the other issues that's come up a lot is uh, the cost and access to early child care. So I've talked to some educators of our youngest students. This is like zero to five who um, feel kind of left out of this whole education reform that we've been focused on this year because we haven't spent a lot of time talking about early education. And I hear from parents, particularly moms, that the cost of early child care and the access to it, the, the waiting lists and that type of thing, are a real challenge in our area. And I think that 
when we're talking about kindergarten readiness, we're talking about workforce readiness, and so I really do want to also emphasize early childcare and early education because that's something I'm hearing from a lot of people that they want me to, to think about and address and come up to, with solutions for. So there's a lot, of th lot to do in our area. What are your solutions? So one, uh, I'm, I'm talking to a lot of people to try to figure out what might work best, but, but one thing that has come up often, um, especially through my, my work with the Training Now Way as well, is the school readiness tax credit. So this is an incentive to um, owners and operators and teachers of early child care facilities as well as parents who send their kids to a quality rated um, child care facility. And so this is kind of just a little extra money in their pocket to be able to um, do the things that we need them to do, which is teaching our children and readying them for kindergarten. Um, the other part of it is, you know, our, our early childhood educators, I think the average is something like $8.80 is what they get paid an hour. Um, so you can make a lot more working somewhere else, and you can also get benefits. You know, we lost, for my son, one of his best and most wonderful teachers, we lost her to a, a receptionist office job because she got benefits. So, you know, we're losing some, same way that we're losing teachers out of our K-12 schools, we're losing our early educators as well, who are just vital to making sure that we, um, you know, the kids have the opportunity they need to start off strong in school, but also that our economy has the workforce that we need in the future. It's a long-term play, and it really starts at that zero to five uh, early education. I want to return to the teacher's situation sure. in just a mm -hmm. minute, but I want to go back to what you said about the SCDOT plan. Yep. What exactly should be the plan for the Wando Bridge in your mind? Right. So the Wando Bridge is, is a problem. Um, it certainly was quite a debacle when it shut down last year. Um, I've heard that we're going to have to shut down again this year because of the other side. Um, so I'm, I haven't had that rumors. confirmed, but um, but that's something that I have that I've heard a couple people say, and so I think we're going to feel it again um, when it comes to the Wando Bridge. You know. The solution there is we really have to be preventative. You know, any any best plan is more preventative than reactionary. And I think probably what we're going to do this this summer, whenever we sh we shut it down again to fix the other side, is preventative, so that we don't have some kind of major catastrophe. Obviously, so we need to do that. But when we're talking about the SCDOT plan, um, it really is a long range plan. It's got to be focused on preventative. You know, so many of our roads right now are reactive. So it's once it's at a major pain point and people are sitting in traffic for an hour, going a stretch of you know eight miles. Um, that we're really kind of, they're banging, we got to get this road built, and then we start building the road. So we really need to look at it more as let's do the planning of where the traffic is going to be five years from now so that we can go ahead and make those improvements and make those infrastructure projects a priority so that we don't get to the point where people are banging their heads against their windows as they're sitting in traffic uh, as we try to move a couple of miles down the street. I know State Representative Nancy Mace mm -hmm. uh, recently sent a couple of questions to the South Carolina Department of Transportation mm -hmm. regarding the Wanda yep. Bridge last year. If you were to be in the state center right now, what list of questions would you be saying to them? About the Wando Bridge specifically? Yes, ma'am. Um, I would probably say, well, what is the long-term plan for this bridge specifically? You know they've done some diagnostic and some tests on it since the debacle last year in terms of, um, you know, really put people at a standstill um, that really rely on that bridge to get to and from where they need to go. And so, you know, the, the questions for me would really be about what have, what has that data shown you about the viability of this bridge going forward um, and what needs to happen in the longer term to make sure that, you know, this is a solution in terms of getting people to where they need to be without having to go kind of around Egypt um, to get there. So my questions would really be about what the data has shown with the analysis that they've already done and then also kind of what the plans are long term. Let me get back to the teacher's situation. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, you tweeted this just recently from yeah. Brady Court Garvin. You mm -hmm. said this quote, this budget funded a lot of priorities I've heard matter most to people. Yeah. I'm reaching out to individuals across the district, listening, learning, and taking notes to ensure my future votes, votes that is, align with the voices of those I represent. Mm -hmm. When you look at that budget and you look at the teachers right now, yeah. 
Where does your mind go to? Yeah. So um, they, there is a pay increase for teachers in that budget. But one of the things that's interesting to me is that, you know, really prioritizing in that budget um, a bigger pay increase for the teachers that have been teaching for, you know, zero to four years, which um, we certainly need, you know, new teachers. I'm, I'm not opposed, obviously, to, to incentivizing teachers to, to stay in the profession early on. But also, you know, my, my second grader's teacher has been teaching for 20 years, um, and I think she deserves a full pay raise as well rather than a 4%, which is what the budget currently allows for her. I do think that there was a, an amendment last night, I think, on um, class sizes and making sure that the class sizes were uh, are going to be um, restricted to the way they're supposed to be. And I think that's good. I think that's in direct response to the rally last week. So when you see a group of engaged citizens like that, 10,000 strong go up to Columbia, it makes a difference. And it made a difference in that vote for that to pass that amendment last night in the House. And I hope that the Senate will, will do that as well. Um, so I really think the budget, though, funded a lot of things that are priorities for people, including education, including infrastructure. Um, and Senator Grooms was one of the ones who voted against it. And so, you know, I'm, I'm curious about why that is. I'd, I'd like to know his, his reasoning on that. But, um, you know, the budget funds a lot of things that are important to the people of our district. And, and I think you got to pass the budget so that we can move forward with some of the things we need to get done here in the state. Where are you with charter schools? Good question. Um, and, you know, I'm still figuring that out. Public charter schools, absolutely. I think that's a great um, idea because I think they're, there are kids that learn in different ways, and there are teachers that teach in different ways, and when you combine those two things, you really see a lot of progress for an individual student. Uh, and so I'm, I'm for public charter schools for sure. Um, I think that there's a lot of opportunity that comes out of teaching in different ways and learning in different ways. Um, my daughter goes to a STEM school, Lang Middle School, right. um, and public school, and she, I mean, I am blown away by the curriculum of that school and just what she's been able to do and learn, um, and she went to an extra field trip on Friday to the to the wind turbine testing facility uh, there in North Charleston Clemson's right. Center, go Tigers, um, <laughs> and she just loved it, and she learned so much of the practical application for, you know, this wind turbine, and she had bu built a windmill in class, and that's why they got to go, because they got the highest voltage, it was very fun. So the things that she's doing and what they're doing in the fab lab, as they call it, um, they've got a 3D printer and they've got a laser cutter and she's made all kinds of things in that lab. And I think it's just a great example of um, learning in a different way and learning with your hands, and figuring out the practical application of things rather than just studying on your iPad or in your textbook um, or lecturing in the classroom. And so um, I'm all for different methods of teaching and different methods of learning um, for the good of our students. Let me get you over to some developing news. Mm -hmm. Obviously, Governor McMaster has basically pilled his appointment, appointee that is, mm -hmm. former uh, Attorney General Charlie Condon. Mm -hmm. If you were to vote for the Santee Cooper chairman or the vote for that particular company, mm -hmm. what would you vote as? So that's interesting. You know, the people that, that the appointments are one thing. I think you've got a whole another set of uh, questions with regard to Santee Cooper itself. I think that uh, the most recent bill that the Senate passed was to ask for bids to um, buy Santa Cooper, bids to manage Santa Cooper, right. and for Santa Cooper to uh, propose a reorganization of itself. Right. Um, that sounds good to me. You know, let's get all the options on the table. Um, senator Grooms was the lone senator to vote against that, and so I think that, you know, really he's he's taking a let's do nothing approach. Um, I don't think do nothing is, is a good idea. So when it comes to Santee Cooper, I think we do need to get these bids um, for all these different things and also allow them to propose a reform package for themselves. And then, you know, it really is on the General Assembly to decide this. This is a state-owned utility, and right. so the state has to decide what to do with it. And um, the General Assembly doesn't need to um, pass on its responsibility 
to really handle this situation. And, um, and I appreciate that the governor's been trying to make some movement on this and trying to just kind of move some things forward and get some things done. But um, you know, this really relies on the General Assembly. They have to approve what happens next with Santee Cooper, and they need to they need to do some things on it. So we need to need to be in action rather than uh, just continuing to talk about it um, and do nothing. What more questions do you have about Santee Cooper? Mm -hmm. um, one of the biggest ones I think that we've left out a little bit is, you know, the whole point of the nuclear reactors was to help diversify where we're getting our energy. And with those not coming online, then we really set ourselves back with our generation mix, from my understanding, in terms of um, cleaner solutions to, to our energy production. And so what I really still have questions about is what is the plan for cleaning up some of those those methods. I mean, I know we're still relying on coal um, at Santee Cooper because of the failure of those nuclear plants, and that's really set us back in our planning for cleaner cleaner energy. So what are we going to do to make it more clean going forward? That's that's my main question still. What more questions do you have about this legislative session right now? Mm -hmm. um, what else are we going to get done in the next day and a half? You know, this is uh, we're real, we're nearing the finish line here. Um, and again, this is a, you know, everybody knows South Carolina is a, a two-year general session process, but you know, I don't think that's an excuse to not get any much done the first year, you know. So if we don't get anything done here in May, you know, we've got some committees and things that will happen um, in the fall. But, you know, I really don't think we can just keep kicking the can down the road and saying, well, we'll deal with that in the second year of session, you know. And so I, I think voters are tired of that, um, saying at the beginning of this year, this is the year for education reform. Not this is the next two years for education reform. You know, we heard, no, this is the year. Um, we haven't touched education formula at all. They say we're going to do that next year. We haven't touched tax reform. They say we're going to do that next year. You know, so it's going to be a big year, and it's election year, 2020. So I think the voters are tired of hearing promises about we're going to get to this, and they want to see us act on it now. Um, and that's really going to be a priority for me, again, to go back to the beginning, um, trying to get some things done uh, as opposed to, to talking about it. And when you talk also with more of the uh, <laughs> citizens of District 37, what are the other issues that they're concerned about right now? Um, so some other things. I just heard from um, from a woman last week who had some questions about adoption law and regulation and some things that she feels need to change in that area. Um, there's particularly some issues with regard to kinship care and some things with our foster system. So I'm going to meet with her and talk with her a little bit further about that. Um, the other big thing that I keep hearing from people, we've got a, a pretty strong contingent of Moms Demand Action group members. Right. Um, and so when we talk about gun violence, we talk about the Charleston loophole, that is still definitely uh, um, a subject on a lot of people's minds. And they want that to uh, be addressed and uh, they want the Charleston loophole to be passed um, and closed. And so that's something that I really think I'm hearing from a lot of people again and certainly support um, uh, passing legislation to to extend that FBI background check from three days to five, which is really what we're talking about in that particular legislation, and and I just have a hard time figuring out why people disagree with that. So um, so that's something that I hear from folks, and that uh, is a priority, and it will be a priority for me. How do you hope to close that loophole with the work and help of Senator Kimson and yep, others absolutely. In, the, in the Senate? Yeah, so I'm, I'm just coming on to Senator Kimson's bill and, and saying, yep, I'm for it too, because he's done a great job and um, and holding down the, the line with that and really pushing it forth, and I just think he needs a couple more folks um, to help him with it and to make sure it passes, and so I want to be one of those. And obviously, you know, uh, when you look at yourself, 
when you take off your hat, mom, mom hat yeah. and your wife hat mm -hmm. and your marketing hat, who else is Captain Whitaker? <laughs> There's a lot of hats, right? right. Um, a lot of hats. Um, so I've, I also really uh, play tennis, and so I'm also a tennis player. Um, Got to get back into that, though. I've, I've let it slide a little bit recently just because I've been so busy with, with some of this. Um, so I play tennis and do that. I love to read. Um, I love to go to the beach. So those are kind of the things that I do in my, in my spare time. Um, but that's a little bit about me. A lot of time is taken up being a wife and mom. Um, sure. We're members of Seacoast Church, and right. we lead a, a married ministry, a co-lead with another couple, and, um, and I volunteer at the New Here Station. So anytime anybody's coming um, to the church and is new, I'm happy to show you around, uh, especially with the new campus. It's, we're all figuring it out together. Oh, yeah. um, so I wear a lot of hats, and, um, and I love to be busy. You know, there's that other saying about if you need something done, give it to a busy woman. Well, <laughs> you know, happy to take that mantle and wear that hat. Yes. So um, I'm hopeful to... To have another hat to wear um, as a senator for District 37, and um, I really appreciate the support I've already received since I've announced. Um, I think I guess this is my fifth or sixth week right. on the campaign trail, sure. Um, sure. and so I've got a lot of support already, and I really appreciate that. I love the fact that people have reached out to me with their issues already, and I would love and invite more of that um, as well. And anybody can reach me at Catherine at CatherineForSenate.com. Um, happy to talk with anybody and sit down and meet. Like I said, want to listen and learn. Um, from folks around the district about what's important to them. You talk about District 37 and wanting to be the senator. What are the three biggest businesses in District 37? So in District 37, you have Santee Cooper, would probably be one of the, the main ones, obviously, headquartered there in Monk's Corner. Um, in terms of some of the other districts around the area, you know, we've got a significant number of industry. We've also got a significant number of small businesses. And so when you're looking at um, the district as a whole, it covers a lot. You know, also got Francis Marion Park kind of right there in the middle. And so when you're talking about business, we also have a lot of um, conservation, preservation type of things to, to think about. And so you've got industry things you have to consider. You've got preservation, conservation. You've got smart growth we need to consider. We've got education issues. We've got a rich, poor gap. Um, so there's just a lot of things building up, and I think we have to take all those into account whenever we're weighing any piece of legislation, and that's, that's what I want to come into this with. I think the other thing that, that bothers me about kind of where we are in, in politics right now is that all these disagreements have to kind of devolve into vitriol. Like it has to be um, black or white, one side or the other, in terms of any decisions going forward for the district. And, and I just don't think that's true. Um, I think when you get together with people and have conversation in community, whether that's around the dinner table or to swim meet or um, any other place that you get together face to face and have conversations like this, um, you really can learn together and make some forward progress together. And so that's, that's the kind of progress I want to see for the community and these crucial conversations have to happen throughout the district and around our state. And I think there are more and more, but I want to bring that, um, that perspective to the General Assembly some more. Let's get together and let's talk and let's have some disagreements. Let's get comfortable with discomfort um, and move forward together. So that's, that's the approach I want to take. How many small businesses are you talking in District 37? That's a great question. I don't know the exact number, um, but there's a lot. There's a lot of small business. Um, there's a lot of folks who have lived here their whole lives that have made their life here. Um, and so that's the, the kind of people I want to make sure are also being heard when we're talking about listening to people about what their issues are throughout the district. And what would you do on day one if you become senator? Good question. Um, on day one, I'll probably figure out where I'm supposed to go. Uh, <laughs> I have to get there. Um, but the other thing is, I, I think I would um, certainly want to tackle this early child care issue. So I would hope to pre-file legislation even before I start um, 
and, and trying to figure out some solutions to that early child care cost and access uh, challenge in the state. That would be, I think, my number one priority. What is the cost right now for a typical early childhood yeah. education? So my child, when he was four, um, he's now eight, my youngest, um, yeah. when he was four, I was paying about $9,400 a year for him to be in full-time daycare. Um, when he started school, and so we had two children that we paid for after-school care right. and summer care, right. since we both worked full-time, um, that was about 10000 for the two of them to have after-school care and then full-time summer right. care. So, you know, when you talk about that cost, I mean, and, and when people say child care should be affordable, they really mean about 10% of income. So, you know, that's, that's pretty astronomical in terms of the income you need to make to make that truly affordable. And um, so we really need to figure out some solutions to that. And, and, um, and that's kind of the cost, at least the cost I saw. And I think that um, the numbers that I've seen for the state I think the average is a little bit lower than that, but um, certainly in our area, I, I, we did not go to the highest, um, <laughs> the highest cost daycare. So I know that there's even more um, costs associated that people are paying now. And again, that was four years ago. So, you know, we'll see kind of where things go. But that's that's a real problem and something that needs to be addressed. You talked about affordable. What do you define it as? Affordable housing or mm -hmm. attainable housing? Mm -hmm. I say affordable housing. Absolutely. Um, I think that attainable housing is um, some folks attempt to make. It more palatable but what we're really talking about is we need people to be able to afford to live where they want to live near their work um, and near where they do life um, and so I think that that's really affordable I mean affordable is not a bad word <laughs> it needs to be something that people can place where people can live and pay for it based on the income they have and what they can what they can afford to pay so um, absolutely I'm on the affordable side of, of that equation and obviously, when you talk about the uh, rich-poor gap, how do you hope to close that? That's a good question. I think it goes back to education again. I mean, I know that's um, that's kind of, we've talked a lot about education already, but when you're talking about equalizing opportunity and destroying privilege, which I think is a Teddy Roosevelt thing, um, they we, it starts with education. Education can really be the, the silver bullet if every child has access to a quality education from early education through K-12. through 12, um, you know, we really can change the playing field and level the playing field in some ways with this gap. Um, and so it shouldn't matter the zip code you live in or um, in terms of how you get your education. It should be across the board a quality education for all of our children. Catherine Whitaker, thank you so much for your time. I really, really appreciate this. Thank you very much. Thanks thank for having me. Anytime. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.